You're listening to The Jazz Session with Jason Crane. Since 2007, the original jazz interview podcast. Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 533 for October 14th, 2020. On today's show, it's vocalist Sarah Serpa. On December 1st, I will be packing my belongings into my 1999 Dodge Caravan and heading out on the road. That is part of the reason why I need your support to become a member of this show today. You can do it for just 5 or 10 bucks a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. Once you become a member, you get immediate access to all the previous bonus episodes. Members will be receiving today uh, a track of the week episode featuring Devin Gray and uh, his new record. Sarah Serpa has created a film and a soundtrack for it. Both are called... Recognition. Sarah Serpa, welcome back for the third time to the Jazz Session. Thank you, Jason. It's a pleasure. It's great to have you back. I was looking in the archives to see how long it had been since the last time you were on, and I was kind of amazed to find out it's been six years since the last time you were on, during which time a lot of things have happened in both of our lives (laughs) that make them quite different from what they were the last time we saw one another. Uh, So it's... It's lovely to have you back, and um, we're here today to talk about uh, both an album and a film uh, called Recognition Mm -hmm. that is, it's just breathtaking. I mean, I really, I was really blown away the first time I watched the film. It it, uh, got me Googling quite a few different things, and... um, Thank you. Yeah, I I mean, thank you. I feel like it's uh, more of a service you're providing to me than the other way around. Um, So can you just give folks kind of a brief description of the subject matter of the film and the record? So Recognition is basically started as a film with live performance. So and now it's in the form of a film with music or a record. And basically, and the film is a collection of Super 8 films that I found in my family archives filmed filmed by my grandfather in Angola, where my grandfather was born, where my mother was born, where my father was born. And so basically it was a way for me to learn and reflect about the intersection of personal history, you know, family history and national history, how those uh, intersections happen to learn more about this dark period that was the Portuguese colonialism, that it's still like a taboo um, in Portugal. 
As I understand it, your family didn't really talk about this time in their history either, right? No. I think it has to do also with so many other things that happen in families, right? And things are never as clear as um, we want them to be. And I think the past has a lot of difficult memories also. So, um, uh, no, like this was not, Angola was a very distant uh, reality for me. I'd hear just like a few things here and there. You know, and also like I was born five years after the the liberation of Portugal. You know, Portugal was under a dictatorship for uh, 40 years. So I think like growing up, I was growing up also in a in a country that was creating itself and rediscovering itself. You know, so the colonial history was a difficult subject. It, it brought a lot of trauma and, and pain to everybody. You know, so I, I didn't grow up hearing about Angola. So this was a... You know, and it had been on my mind for a long time. So this was an opportunity for me to to focus and to, to create something around these memories. At the end of the film, uh, there's a credit in memory of your father, and Mm -hmm. uh, from the credit, it seems to suggest that he was in favor of you exploring these topics. Can you talk about that a little? Yeah, I mean, both my parents, they were involved in in the anti-colonialist and anti-fascist political movements for a long time, you know, so they were definitely not in favor of the colonial regime. What has been for me more, it has been more kind of I discover things and then I I would ask questions to my father or to my mother, you know, checking, you know, do you remember these or what was going on here? You know, so it, it, it was more in that sense of checking what was your perspective of things back then and right now. What I see now, it, it was very intense times, you know, like everybody was, there was a, a secret police. So everybody, you know, my parents had friends who were arrested, who were tortured. You know, so there were even a lot of silences because people could not talk about things openly, you know. So so I think there's some kind of heritage from that period also, like where you don't talk openly about things um, because you're afraid of who might be listening. Did you know the the grandfather from whom uh, you got the Super 8 footage? Was he still alive when you were growing I, up? I, he died. He passed away when I was 10 years old. So I didn't have any opportunity to talk to him about these or anything, you know, like when sure. you're a child, you're just like in your world. Um, you know, like I, I don't think he was particularly happy that my mother joined political movements, you know, and, and until I was born, they were pretty much involved in their political activities. So, 
there was a clash for sure. Who who was raised, you know, in this kind of environment, and the generation who realized like this is not a good environment. It's incredibly violent, you know, and and that they didn't want to live this way. Yeah, it's. I mean, I think it, oftentimes we think of. Uh, anti-fascist struggles as being a thing of the past, like the distant past, uh, which, I mean, our own experiences in the United States right now prove that that's not true. But uh, but it's, you know, you and I are about, uh, somewhere close to the same age, I think. And so to hear you talk about, you know, your own parents, I mean, this is how recent this history is. We're not talking about, you know, something that's all in black and white in the dim and distant past. I mean, this is within the living memory of people who are, you know, who were a part of that struggle. Exactly. Yes. And, you know, this is also like a way of, I think, Portugal in this sense, to rewrite history in a way that we kind of acknowledge all these people who fought for the liberation of the country, you know, because you do have the official narrative where you have the military coup that overthrew uh, the regime but actually there were many, many movements and people involved and, you know, a lot of strategies and schemes to evade, you know, control and persecution. So, so it was, you know, it's really fascinating for me to hear stories about it. You know, like my, my father uh, had to escape from the military. He had to run away from the military because he didn't want to go to the war, you know, the colonial war. And, and so the way my parents would communicate was through newspapers. You know, my father would put in a newspaper ad and my mom would see like the address, you know, where she should meet him. And then she would take like two buses and then she would wear a wig. You know, it was just like kind of crazy. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. There are, and this is just like one little thing, one little story. There's many incredible stories about this period. The Let's take a quick break from the interview so that I can remind you to become a member. It's super easy. Just go to thejazzsession.com slash join. That's thejazzsession.com slash join. Once you go there, you'll be, well, redirected to Patreon, to be totally honest. And at Patreon, you can become a member for five or ten bucks a month. At the five dollar level, you get early access to every show. Plus, you get the track of the week each week in which either an artist or I talk about a particular track. If it's an artist, it's a new track. And if it's me, it's probably something that I like from back in the day. That's at the $5 level. At the $10 level, you get that weekly bonus episode, plus you get an additional monthly bonus episode, which can really be anything. It tends to be people talking about albums they like and some extra bits of interviews and things like that. So you can get those by going to thejazzsession.com slash join, and not to say now more than ever, but now more than ever, I could really use your help. Thanks so much. Back to the show.
when did you first get the idea to address this history through both film and music? This subject has been on my mind for quite a long time, you know, especially, you know, has um, a musician that moved to the United States to study Black American music, uh, who works with jazz musicians. There was a lot of questions in my mind because, you know, everybody here knows that Portugal was a huge country, a country that was hugely involved in the slave trade. And in Portugal, it's barely talked about, you know, so I think this has always been kind of um, been lingering on my mind, like how how to address this through art. And then at some point was more kind of like, wow, I, I also am connected to Africa in a very specific way, you know, and Angola in a very specific way. And and so like suddenly you're kind of going into a more zooming in into my microstructure. This is the family, you know, and, and see like how can I use this history to talk about the macro history that is the country, you know. So, um, and I think initially John Zorn invited me to present like a performance at the drawing center featuring film and live music. And initially I thought well, I'm just going to use some photographs, you know, create like this presentation or this um, collage of images. But then, you know, my mother discovered these super eight films that she had never watched. You know, it was also kind of a surprise for her. She had never watched and she was 11 years old when these films were filmed. So then I digitalized the films and I spent a lot of time just looking at the films and trying to be like, what should I do with this? You know, and, and, and so like, how can I create a narrative using these images that addresses the um, national history and also like the national silence around this part of history? The film is, it's hard to describe. I mean, it, it, it's, I think it actually benefits from how little spoken narrative there is. There, there is some spoken narrative and there is some text on the screen, but for the most part, we're just watching these super eight films, you know, kind of grainy films that you have altered in a variety of ways of Angolans working and often it's very short clips of people working that are repeated and the repetition is it's all it's kind of devastating in a way i mean because you can imagine that 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 exact repetition of those same kind of mechanical motions you know people spending their days in a way they would not choose to spend their days had they their own free choice you can imagine it just stretching on into eternity and i think that that makes watching the film really challenging. I mean, I, I'm encouraging everyone to watch it, but it is, it's not an easy watch. I mean, you, as you watch it, especially, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm a white person who obviously has benefited from the colonial history of the country where I live. And, um, you know, it's not an easy thing to, to look at because so often we just, we hear these stories or we read about them, but just to watch this footage is, it's really affecting. Yeah. Yes, I agree. You know, also for me, like what seeing film, super eight films in color, you know, like because until then I've only seen pictures of Angola, black and white pictures, you know, which makes like creates like some kind of distance because when you see them in color, there's a proximity, like suddenly you're closer to those images. For sure, it's not easy. It's not an easy film. Uh, It's a very difficult and 
uh, dark um, part of national the national history, but also like um, I feel like in a way it's necessary to expose this because otherwise how how can you know you know how can you reflect on it and um, how can we move on move forward you know. Um, there needs to be a recognition that this happened, you know, and it, until very recently, there was little uh, acknowledgement of the facts, you know, that there was forced work, you know, that people were incredibly exploited. It was an incredibly violent, brutal regime, you know, really oppressive. So I don't think any film about colonial period will be a nice uh, nice <laughs> no nor nor should it uh, be it, yeah. it, it's, it's not it's, not, it's never it's never going to be an entertainment but i think like for me the intention was also how can i create this space uh, for reflection you know where you're kind of like looking at these images and reflecting and also kind of you know when you talk about the history of angola you're talking about so many things you know because um the whole western world shares the this history of occupation, you know, um, of oppression, of exploitation and violence. So this could be easily about the United States. It could be about Brazil. You know, it, of course, like each country has its own uh, nuances and uh, relationships. But there's a global thing that could be, you know, is shared. <laughs> Tell me about the band that you put together to play this music. So initially, like I thought about this project to be a trio. Uh, so I, I invited Gina Parkins, uh, who plays harp, and Mark Tanner, tenor saxophone. And, you know, I invited them because they were like musicians that I've always wanted to collaborate. And I thought, like, challenge myself, you know, to write music for this trio to see how that works and also like, they, they have such, each, each musician has such incredible sonic personality. You know, you hear them and you can tell right away who's playing. So there was really like great admiration for their work and really a big desire to work with them. Um, and so we did a few performances in trio, uh, live performances. And then there was one day that Dina couldn't make the gig and I called uh, David Vireles to play piano and it was great. Also like it kind of opened up some sonic environment that hadn't been available just with the harp. So finally I decided, okay, like, so I'll, I'll create this quartet, 
you know, and, and it was great to see how they interacted, you know, for example, the piano and harp, you know, Zin and David, and how to create this music that you don't know who's playing or who's soloing, you know, you're just kind of involved in the music and you're just kind of letting yourself go. Had you already put the film together when you began writing the music or, or were you doing those at the same time? Can you talk about that process a little? I think it was simultaneously. So basically, I started working with Bruno Suarez in Portugal for the film. I, I created the script and then we did like scene by scene, you know. And so I had like little motifs for each scene, but then like also trying to understand what makes sense in this scene, what, what is represented here. So it was kind of a simultaneous process. And I think until the end, it's always changing, you know. Now I've decided to, I, I, I have, I continue my research about Angola, you know, and Portugal and these relationships. I have been in touch with this great Angolan singer, uh, Aline Frazão, and um, I'm working on having her uh, actually narrating the text in Portuguese, the text that we see in English in the film, like to have her narrating in Portuguese. So this, I mean, I hope the film finishes there, you know, like I feel like there's always like a never ending, never ending process. I think it can be rewarding to return to things you've been working on and find new depths in them. I mean, we certainly, there are mm-hmm. lots of examples of artists doing, the one that springs most easily to mind is like Walt Whitman for me, who essentially wrote one book for his entire life, but he just kept adding to it over and over and over again <laughs> until, you know, by the time of his death, it was like 20 times the size that it had been when it originally came out. So yeah, yeah who knows, maybe in two years, recognition will be like seven <laughs> hours long and... <laughs> I hope not. I hope not. No, I think, yeah. I think, you know, I, I feel like I received like feedback, you know, and also like reflecting on so many things. I feel like I want to live in peace with this project. You know, I, I want to feel like it's not incomplete, you know, and I think there's one thing is the album, which is complete. The music is complete, but I feel like the, the way there are just little details, you know, and sometimes the details make are, are so important. And so like, I feel like this will really improve the experience of watching the film.
one more break from the interview to thank the folks who make the Jazz Session possible, starting with the members who support it. Thank you so much. And also the Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music all 13 years of the show, and Dave Rabel for the logo. Chuck Ingersoll is the voice of the intro. You can hire him to do your voice work at hearchucknow.com. Follow the Jazz Session on Twitter at jazzsesh, J-A-Z-Z-S-E-S-H, and on Instagram at the Jazz Session. Take a second right now to rate and review the Jazz Session on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It greatly improves my ability to reach new listeners. And if you'd like to keep up to date on my podcast, poetry, travels, and more, subscribe to my twice-monthly newsletter. Go to thejazzsession.com and click on the newsletter link. Now, back to the episode. So film scoring in the traditional sense, at least from from my understanding of it, it, it tends to be a, a composer working to a, a finished or mostly finished, you know, a, a mostly edited uh, piece of music. And, you know, they're obviously trying to time things so that they match up with certain scenes and that kind of thing. But then in, in this, especially when you're doing it live, you're a group of improvisers. Um, obviously, there's composed music as well, but you're, you are still a group of improvisers. And so I wonder, how does that work when you're performing it live? Are you trying to reach a certain place, you know, at this time and then whatever happens in between happens? Or I'm curious about that. That's a great question. At the beginning, like my idea to write music for this was I want to write music that it's not overly uh, scored so that musicians have some freedom uh, to improvise and to add stuff as the film goes. So there's for sure, like at least there are three scenes that are improvised, totally improvised. These are mostly the scenes where I'm reciting text. And for me, it was important to have that release also, you know, where there are moments where we're super focused on making playing the music according to the film and then there are moments where we can just kind of uh, let go. So I think, unfortunately, COVID came <laughs> when we were supposed to have more performances, you know, and I think I was really looking forward to see how this music could develop in the live performance because uh, uh, now that it's kind of crystallized, you know, like now we, now that I know how it works for each scene, um, I was really looking forward to playing it live several times and getting it more tight. But hopefully, you know, who knows, next year. <laughs> Am I right in thinking now that you're dividing your time between Portugal and the U.S.? I mean, it's not like a conscious, you know, decision. Uh, it it happened in June, like we we went to Portugal from June until now. So we were in Portugal for four months um, because it was a slightly easier to be there um, doing 
homeschooling, like teaching online and, you know, not being stuck inside an apartment. I think we had really, it was a kind of rough period to be here, like from March until June. And so we're still kind of figuring out what's going to happen, you know, but um, I feel very fortunate that I can travel to Portugal and be there in a place where I can be closer to nature, at least, you know, that's more connection with the outdoors and I have some help taking care of my son. I think of you as being from Lisbon, which I think of as, as pretty urban, but are you, are you actually from some more country-like place nearby or something like that? Actually, no, actually, no, I'm from Lisbon, you know, but compared to New York, sometimes Lisbon feels quite like, um, uh, you know, the silence and it's, there's some kind of relationship with the outdoors that it's a little easier I feel in Lisbon, you know, you can go to the river very easily, like distances are smaller. There's the weather is nice. There's, there's, you know, I think each place has good things and bad things. I just feel that being stuck inside an apartment doesn't help to our mental health. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I completely agree. (laughs) Yes. And I, I do, I feel it, you know, I feel it uh, here in, in New York. So, how people are affected and how it affected me when I was three months without going out. I mean, going out, but with very limited uh, movements and how the city is changing, you know, like not being able to congregate, you know, to be with musicians and play and go to music and live music here, live music. It's really, it's one of the reasons I'm here. So I know this this record just came out in June, but it's almost always the case that people are also looking ahead at at what else might be coming musically. Are you in the process of working on other projects or thinking about what else you might do? I actually am. Um, yeah, I have a, a project that it's a collaboration with the Nigerian writer Emmanuel Zuma. Uh, and so, like, uh, we created a, a I, I wrote like a twelve song cycle for. Uh, one of his books um, called The Stranger's Pose. And we premiered the piece in 2018, November 2018. So like the plan is to record this uh, until the end of this year. So it features myself, uh, Sophia Ray and Aubrey Johnson on voice and Matt Mitchell on piano, Kazim Nakvi on modular scenes. And Emmanuel, who will narrate parts of his book. 
Wow, that sounds amazing. Just just from that list of people, that sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I think it kind of continues with my uh, investigations around relationship between Europe and Africa, you know, and the book. It basically focuses on his travels in different African countries and the people he meets throughout his travels. It's a beautiful book. It features so many human emotions, you know, like love, loss, grief, despair. She encounters a lot of people who are trying to cross to Europe, for example, um, to cross the Mediterranean and to, to, you know, who have traveled the long, long distances to cross the Mediterranean. So it's, it's kind of a subject that has, is a worry for me, you know, so I think approaching it through music, um, kind of, helps me connect to it and maybe help others understand um, these realities. So if you're recording it toward the end of the year, is this something we'll probably hear in 2021? Yes. Yes, for sure. Fabulous. So Sarah, um, when I was talking about the film, I mentioned that there is text on the screen and sometimes spoken text uh, throughout the film. Can you talk about the sources of that? So the idea for the film was to just suppose the images with text that were from the same time, you know. So uh, these are texts by Emil Carcavran, the texts that are projected in the film. They're, they were written in a series of speeches that Emil Carcavran, who was um, an anti-colonial revolutionary and, you know, an important leader of the independence struggle, um, he wrote these texts around the same time these films were made. So there was that intention verbally describing the experience of the colonized and the, uh, you know, contrasted with the visual uh, that was captured by the colonizer. And, and uh, the other text, one about Queen Zinga is a text uh, from um, a historian, Linda Haywood. Um, she wrote an amazing book about this queen who was also an important figure of the resistance against the Portuguese. And then there's an Angolan writer, Luandine, José Luandine Vieira, who has incredible books about the period, you know, like the 20th century, you know, and this book is about uh, one man that is arrested and murdered by the Portuguese regime. Well, the new album is called Recognition, and uh, it is uh, an album, but also a film, and uh, or even primarily a film, um, which I highly recommend to your attention. My guest for this show uh, has been Sarah Serpa. You can find previous interviews um, with Sarah in the archives at thejazzsession.com. Sarah, it's such a pleasure to talk to you again um, and to get to yeah hear and, hear and see this project. Thanks so much for being on the show again. Thank you, Jason. A pleasure. Pleasure is all mine. La da Thanks to my guest this week, Sarah Serpa. Next week, it's the return of Natalie Cressman. If you value what you just heard, become a member for five or ten dollars a month at thejazzsession.com/slash/join, and then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session.
evening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.